There aren't many people who were around to witness the original partition of British India in 1947 and the eventual creation of Bangladesh in 1971. But the Harvard Kennedy School lecturer Martha Chen, who was a small American child in northern India 70 years ago, also happened to be based in Dhaka in the early 1970s, as it became the capital of yet another new country in South Asia. In part one of her extraordinary and unusual story, Dr. Chen explains her family's deep and continuing connections to South Asia. First, let me just explain <laughs> why I happened to be in India in 1947 and happened to be in East Pakistan in 1971. And this is because I'm a third generation member of an American family that's been in South Asia since um, 1916. So we marked 100 years last year. And I do want to say that there are three members of this extended family here today. I have um, my grandson, Isaiah, who's a freshman at Harvard, and behind his father, my son-in-law, Kyle, and my niece, Afshan Alter, uh, the daughter of Tom Alter, who I will uh, speak about a bit in the presentation. So, this is just a slide to show there have been lots of us in many places for many years in South Asia. Um, and the first two generations were Protestant missionaries, my paternal grandparents, and my father and his brother Bob were born and raised there and then took their brides to India to be Protestant missionaries, all of them involved in education or community development and my parents in ecumenicism in particular. And then beginning with my generation, we had various incarnations in South Asia. We all wanted to get back some way or t'other. So uh, I will tell you a bit about Lincoln and my story in uh, East Pakistan and then um, Bangladesh. And we were also fortunate, Lincoln and our two children, to have a chapter in my adult life and their life in India, back in India in the 80s. Um, our son, he and his wife and their three daughters have lived twice in Pakistan and for a stretch in Bangladesh. And our daughter Alexis taught at the Woodstock School in Masuri, India, where Isaiah also studied for a semester and Afshan for I don't know how many semesters, right? <laughs> Five years she studied there. Also, at, she also studied at the American School in Mumbai. Um, and the more permanent residents in India of this family are my brother Tom, his wife Carol, and their son Jamie, Afshan's brother, and my cousin Steve Alter, who's a writer, and his wife Amita. And I should note that some people know my brother Tom Alter because he's a Bollywood star. <laughs> so we've all found different ways of staying on uh, in India. And I should say that I arrived with my parents in October 1945 um, in India. We landed in Karachi and took a train up to Pindi, where my grandparents were. And um, so I spent my whole childhood there and a year of college before the adulthood years that I've captured in the slide. 
So let me start with the first partition, the 1947 partition of India. I have two timeline slides for each period, and um, I will move through those. So for this, I'm going to read excerpts of the letters that my grandmother wrote during that year to her parents. Um, almost all of them are from Ralpindi, um, and two are from Masuri in India, the hill station, where my grandparents came um, in August and stayed on till early, early September, where I was there with my parents, and my brother John was about to be born. He was supposed to be a Midnight's Children, born on August 15th, but he arrived late on August 31st. Um, so, letter one uh, is from January 26th, Gordon College, Ralpindi. It is quite a different India from even 10 years ago because the political condition has changed so radically. I would hesitate to forecast the future as the conflicting groups here have still not come together, but rather seem to be growing further apart. Jinnah and the Muslim League, of which he is the head, are still demanding Pakistan, a separate Muslim state. That is just what the world is trying to get away from. She has opinions, so you'll hear them. Uh, India's strength lies in a united country, not a divided one. The Congress party, headed by Nehru, are working on the Constitution as if they can impose it upon the other groups. I think they have the right line, but they need to have the others with them. For us as residents here, all is peaceful at present, but what will happen when they attempt to set up the new government is another question. February 23rd, now this is three days after the Prime Minister of Great Britain has announced that they will hand over power to India by June 1948. Now that India is to have her independence by June of 1948, it is time for different parties to quit their quarreling and get together to frame a constitution so that they will be able to take over as a united nation. Today's paper says that Congress is willing to make big concessions to the Muslim League, and here's hoping Jinnah will respond. March 18. This is two weeks after the tensions that are in the country have erupted into riots across many towns in Punjab. Your latest letter was mailed on the 5th, and you said that the night before you heard over the radio that there was trouble in Lahore. That was just two weeks ago, and much has happened since. We have not been in any danger, though we are isolated, as was most everyone. For several days, people were afraid to come out of their houses, and the only conveyances that passed our house were trucks of soldiers and police. Not a person ventured out except a few bent on trouble. The days were so quiet that we could hear the birds sing and really wondered where we were. It reminded me of days up in the hills in Kashmir. But the nights were hideous with all the watchmen calling and every different community calling its own religious slogans. You see, it's an outstanding, long-standing conflict between the Muslims on one hand and the Sikhs and Hindus and the others. The Sikhs and Muslims are contending for supremacy in the Punjab. In our part of the Punjab, so they're in Ralpindi, um, the population in the villages is about 90% Muslim, but the wealth and big build buildings and businesses are in the hands of the few Sikhs. 
In all the villages around about, the Muslims rose up and attacked the Sikhs, killing, burning houses and shops, making some forced conversions, and in some cases raping women. It is just history repeating itself. One night we went on the roof of the science building of the college, this is Gordon College in Pindi, for those who know, and saw high flames destroying much of Murray, a hill station 27 miles away, three villages at the foot of the hills ablaze, three fires in the city itself, and heard the maddening shouting of the people. They kept that shouting up until dawn. There were some instances of one community shielding a person of another community. Our washermen came in on Wednesday and brought all our clothes beautifully laundered. We were very surprised to see him and especially to get our laundry done almost on time. He said that his family had lived in a Mohammedan section of the city for 50 years and when this trouble started some of his neighbors, though he was Hindu and they Muslims, took his whole family into their house and kept them quietly there, letting them do their laundry in their uh, courtyard. We expected to reopen college yesterday, but the officials advise that colleges and schools not open for another week. We were out this morning and the streets seemed to have as many people on them as normal, but many of the shops are not open yet. For several days we could not get out to try to buy anything and if we had gotten out, there would not have been a shop open to purchase from. We were glad for the many army surplus supplies and for the lettuce in the garden. The government soon opened ration centers to sell flour and rice. We still have a curfew from six in the evening to six in the morning. We can expect such uprisings until a settlement is reached, but they may not be as widespread as this one. So that was March. May 15th, the political situation is what one hears and dreams about all the time. And here my grandmother first mentions their close Indian Christian friends, the Fuzzle Elahis. Mrs. Fuzzle Elahis' sisters are doctors and they and the Fuzzle Elahis own three houses in Murray, that's the hill station, uh, and <coughs> which were burned to the ground among many others. They say that every house in Murray was marked and certain people assigned to certain houses to burn them. Of course, the Muslim-owned houses were not marked to be burned, but the Fazl Elias houses were marked because he refused to join the Muslim League in the formation of a government. All the houses were set afire at approximately the same time. Three bung bungalows belonging to the Presbyterian mission were also burnt. They say 90 houses in all were destroyed. June 7th. Now this is, uh, yeah, still on this slide. This is four days after Mountbatten presents um, the partition plans. And I must say, I hadn't quite realized that Mountbatten only arrived on the scene in early 47. I sort of thought of him as being around for a longer time. But he arrived just to do the deed, and he wanted to get it done because he wanted to become, um, Rod told me what he wanted to become, the first sea lord in, back in England. So he was in a hurry to get this job done. <laughs> um, anyway, so Mountbatten announced the new partition plan on the 3rd of June, and this letter is written June 7th. 
I suppose you have read of the plan proposed by the Viceroy for implementing the speedy transfer of power to Indians. We all <coughs> listened to the speeches over the radio Tuesday night and were very much impressed by the Viceroy and Nehru too. It was a great inspiration to hear them all, especially Nehru. It seems to be a plan accepted by all, no, though not what they want exactly. It was feared that there might be more trouble this week, but thus far there has been none except in Lahore and Amritsar and not much there. The new capital of Pakistan is to be out on the road between here and Murray, the hill station. We are in the very center of it. Two peace committees have been formed here in Pindi, one in the cantonment and one in the city. They have a loudspeaker on a bus and go all around the area and give addresses advising the different communities to live peaceably with one another. In each bus, there are several representatives from each different community. Mr. Fazal Alahi is the one Indian Christian in the City Peace Committee. We all feel that it is doing a very good piece of work. Pakistan will be hit economically, hard hit economically, as the Muslims up here are not the merchants and the Sikhs and Hindus who are, are all leaving. They are selling out to Muslims who do not know how to conduct business. This is again her judgment coming through, but I think it's got some, some facts to it. They will no doubt learn in time. There was a large consignment of cloth for the Punjab in Mumbai, Bombay, sorry, and there were no merchants willing to take any of it because so many of the shops have burned. That was four weeks ago, and no one has taken the cloth yet. In the meantime, ration cloth, nine yards per person per year, is very scarce and difficult to get. I marvel that people have managed to be clothed at all. <laughs> Non-ration cloth is very expensive. June 17th. I think um, there are a couple before the next big key event. Troubles have quieted down here in Pindu, Pindi, though they are worse in Lahore and Amritsar and Gujranwala. Until the whole political question is settled, there is bound to be communal unrest. The people are still very much disturbed and in fear of what may happen to them. There are two peace committees. Uh, this is a bit of a repeat, like I said. Um, and next, June 25th, again, she talks about cloth being very scarce. Um, and then she observes, it looks as though Jim and Bob, that's Jim is my father, Bob is his brother, will not be in the same country as us. So our family is, is destined to be divided by partition. I'm not sure how letters will be addressed, but it is possible that in the not too distant future, you will be addressing us in Pakistan. Don't begin doing so until you get instructions, though. <laughs> on the 15th of August, Pakistan will have dominion status on a par with Canada. Nehru insists that India will be the name for the rest of this peninsula. Jinnah wants it called Hindustan, but Nehru is holding out. He insists that Pakistan will be composed of seceded portions of India, while Jinnah says India is being partitioned. There are many questions arising that none of us can answer, such as whether there will be a different currency, new stamps, etc. Millions of rupees are being sent out of the Punjab every day, 
as they fear that Pakistan will freeze all money in the area as soon as they take over, and many Hindus and Sikhs want their money in other parts of India. June 29th, there is just one subject of conversation these days, and that is Pakistan. It is a big unknown factor, and everyone wonders what is going to happen. One of the big questions with any who have any savings, either in the banks or in bonds or postal savings, is what is going to happen to their money. July 14th, we are interested to hear that Jinnah is to be Governor General of Pakistan. Perhaps it is just as well as he directs the ruling party, and if he were not head of the state, he might make it very unpleasant for anyone who was. Now that the responsibility is on his shoulders, it will be up to him to show what he can do. So I don't, you know, she didn't have a particularly high regard for Jinnah, what can I say? <laughs> the next letter, there's a pause. She doesn't write about the actual events around the 14th and 15th. And I think that's because um, they were either traveling up to the hill station or she was otherwise busy. So her next letter is August 8, 28th, two weeks after uh, partition slash independence. I suppose you are hearing something of the trouble in India these days. It is in the Punjab along the boundary line. In West Punjab, the Sikhs and Hindus are not safe and in East Punjab, the Muslims are suffering. Great numbers of refugees are being transferred to both sides of the border by the military. They have closed all traffic between Saharanpur, which is near Masuri Hill Station and Lahore in Pakistan, both on the railway and on the highway. We're hoping it will clear before the middle of September. September 8th, again from Masuri. The situation in the Punjab is a tragic one with two million on the march, one million from each side of the border trekking to the other side with what few movable possessions they can carry. The army is escorting the large convoys of people, as many as 30,000 in a group. They travel by plane or train or bus or ox cart or horse carriage or in the case of the great majority on foot. Great numbers have been killed, thousands in fact, Many women have been abducted and whole villages have been burnt, crops even destroyed in some places. Such atrocities have been perpetrated in both East and West Punjab. All communities have been guilty. The next letter is September 28th and she says it's from Ralpindi, Pakistan. Before it was just Ralpindi, now it's Ralpindi, Pakistan. We left Landauer, that's the hill station, Monday morning and arrived here Saturday night, last night at midnight. I shall someday write this all for you, but for the present, suffice it to say that it was a week full of events, of hourly changing of plans in one way or another, of living in a third-class compartment from Tuesday morning until last night, of sleeping on the station platform Monday night. Because they considered the road unsafe, the bus company would not drive us to Saharanpur, but took us to the train in Dehradun. That made us too late from the promised reservations in Saharanpur. Almost every plan we had was changed several times, but we give thanks that we came through safely. We saw thousands trekking along the road in convo convoys. They were poor, hungry, wet, and cold. We saw other thousands hanging onto trains, riding on the top, 
in boxcars and in cattle cars. We never felt that we were in immediate danger, though others had been murdered in the same place only a few days before. Emmett, that's my grandfather, stopped in Lahore to see what can be done about mail to be started through the consul and also see about relief work. It took us 24 hours to come from Lahore and the normal time is seven. It poured and rained most of the time and our compartment leaked at every window and door and from the roof. There was water standing in our compartment for part of the time and we had wet feet for three days. In spite of that, we had no sickness and everyone kept up a cheerful spirit. There were 71 of us in four compartments. October 12th. They are still on the march while some are traveling by train and some by plane. Others are being taken by motor vehicles. Pindi has suffered heavily for so many of the merchants and tradespeople were Sikhs and Hindu Hindus. Many of the shops are closed while others have been taken over by Muslims. She concludes this October 12th letter, the last from 47, which actually references partition, with the following observation. It is a tremendous upheaval which will be felt for years to come. So my recollections, so I was three and a half, um, but I do have recollections and I'm not always sure whether they were filtered through all the telling by others. But the two I think I remember directly uh, were standing with my grandparents at Kennedy Lodge in the Landar Atonement watching the mosque on the opposite hill burning. Um, and I remember riding in an armored jeep with my parents and newborn brother John down to Dehradun, which was the railhead, um, in early October to catch a train. And another memory, which I'm really not sure is mine or it just was filtered, was of my parents and grandparents listening to Nehru deliver his Tryst with Destiny speech on a very crackly radio at midnight of October 14th, 15th.